0: Should old acquaintance be forgot, just like the rest of the song's lyrics? Hey, Brian, what are you doing? Well, Chris, since this is our first show of 2014, I was uh, finalizing my New Year's resolutions. Oh, and what are you giving up? Cold opens for the show. You know that bit where we talk before the theme song? Don't like them, getting rid of them.
1: Well, I-, I made a resolution, too.
0: Really? What are you giving up?
1: Beer. <laughs> <laughs> No, seriously, nothing. No.
0: calendar men and new year's babies to the first digital noise of 2014 here on one of us.net. Wow, is it really 2014? Nope. Are we really just a year away from the future depicted in
1: Back to the Future 2? Nope. No. It's actually 1950, 1950- whatever. Twist. I know, right? Didn't see that coming. How are we recording this on computers? Ghostits! Ghost. It's
0: Ghost <laughs> Ghost, <laughs> Ghost needs to be the new beer. Ghosted. <laughs> I would I actually enjoy that quite a bit. This is the Blu-ray DVD review podcast that resolves never to make resolutions other than maybe watching Resolution a few more times. Cause sure, I like that movie. <laughs> sure, and
1: just resolve to watch more movies in general. That's what we're here for. We're here to give you the suggestions that you need to pick the movies that will make you happy.
0: Wow, you sounded like an addict there for a second, but I, I liked it.
1: No, there's no evidence whatsoever that I'm addicted to film. The 15 bookshelves in my house are are just a faint.
0: The lights are off. We know you're home. You're going to have to face it. You're addicted to film.
1: Mm. Robert Palmer! I love Robert Palmer. Talk about your ghost tits.
0: Right? Anyway, I am your ring-a-ding-ding host, Brian Salisbury, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, a man whose vintage is always a good year, Mr. Christopher Lawrence Cox. Hey,
1: thank you. It's really good to be here. Ah. I always
0: feel like we introduce this show like it's some sort of, like, Paul Anka Christmas special or something. Like, hey, everybody, come on in and sit down on the couch and let's or uh let's just sing
1: a song to get this one started like
0: lawrence welk or something like
1: holy fucking shit we're going to be reviewing the (laughs) movies now i always think of it more like the muppet show hey everybody it's digital noise and that's brian and chris yay
0: yeah that's (laughs) probably the most apt comparison i would say it's time to
1: talk about movies it's time to bitch a lot yeah it's time to fuck the shit up on digital noise tonight get your hand out of my ass
0: Uh, I wanted to remind you that you can find this show, just like all of our content, on iTunes if you just search one of us in the podcast section. You can also follow the show on Twitter at DigiNoiseCast. It's D-I-G-I NoiseCast. You can also become a subscriber, by the way, to our website, which would be awesome. The surge of of new members that we've gotten, a lot of uh, new eyes and new listeners, new viewers, we really appreciate that, but it does kind of raise the price of running the site. So if you have a few extra shekels to spare and can donate one to $25 every month or just make a one-time donation, we'd really appreciate it because that's how
1: we keep bringing you this content. And there are other ways you can do that as well. We have commentaries up here mm-hmm. for movies For watch a movie with us that you can buy for really cheap. We put a lot of extra effort in with a lot of extra guests, a lot of familiar fi- uh, voices. That helps a lot. We have t-shirts available in a store. That helps a lot. I'll tell you another thing that I thought of the other day that would really help as well. When you're going on Amazon to buy one of the products that we told you about, why not leave a message on a comment on the review board, like a review board on Amazon, you know, they have on Amazon for each thing and mention that you heard about this on one of us.net's show, Definitely. digital noise. And that would be a big thing. Cause I know I read those comments whenever I'm looking at a product. Sure. So, Hey, that, that'll do nothing but help.
0: Yeah. And a little bit of house cleaning. Uh, I, I mentioned this on the Facebook page, but I wanted to go ahead and announce that as of January 31st, we will no longer have a Facebook page specific to digital noise. We're kind of just consolidating everything over to the one of us Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash one of us net. So, uh, just to let you know, if you're only, uh, if you've only liked the digital noise page, please go ahead and like one of us as well. And then, like I said, at the end of January, there will no longer be a separate page. We want to want to make it all one big happy family. Yeah,
1: because otherwise we would have had to create like eight different Facebook pages for all the different shows we
0: Yeah, <laughs> and it, it becomes something of a chore.
1: Yeah, figure why not put it all under one big happy
0: Because when you type. do that, what ends up happening is one page is updated all the time and another page is updated once a year. Yeah. And we don't want to have that happen. We mm-hmm. want to make sure that we're getting you as much information, as much new content as we're putting out on the site. We want to make sure you're, you're up to date on what's out there. So go ahead and like the one of us net Facebook page and that will be the sole Facebook page after the end of this month. Yes, I think that is all. Oh, wait, no, there is one brand new addition to the site that we should probably talk about. You asked for it, we delivered. One of us net now has a forum. Now you can
1: say anything you want. Oh shit.
0: Oh fuck. <laughs> well, this was a bad idea. If you look up at the top of the page there, we have the where the, we have the shows and the film reviews and our mission statement, all that stuff. You'll see a tab that says forums. If you click on that, you can go set up a profile, you can have chats with other members of us nation. You can pretty much do whatever you want. It's it's a pretty uh it's a pretty awesome forum. We're really happy with it. And, you know, go there. We have posts for all of our individual shows, posts for general discussion topics. You can start your own discussion topic. Just have fun, guys. Just have a blast. Go for it. We demand you do it. We demand you have fun! What? Do, it.
1: do we have to beg you to have fun over Please here? Please have fun!
0: Tell your friends about it. Make sure that they know that uh, there is now a place for that is solely for you guys. Solely for you, the listeners, to go and create and just have your voices heard. And we'll be checking in from time to time, but... We're not going to be real, uh, we're not going to police the forums, I guess, is what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's, uh, it, it's going to be what it is. So be, if you like the forums and you're proud of it, then make sure to do a little bit of policing yourself. If somebody's being outrageously a jerk or like constantly attacking other people, that sort of thing we're willing to deal with.
0: That's because, the one rule we have in general is just don't be a dick.
1: Yeah, that's the whole thing is don't be a dick. It's don't not even necessarily dick. towards us, towards other people. If you're coming on there and your whole goal is just to be a jerk to people, I'm not going to have any truck with that, personally. No. You know, if you're just getting there to troll people, why would anyone want to go to our forums with people like you there? So please don't do that. Don't be one of those people. It's supposed to be one of us. We're all here to talk about what we love.
0: Don't be one of them. Be one of us. Yeah. Awesome.
1: Don't be a dick. Good general rule. You can pretty much sum up the 12 commandments with that one. We might make a t-shirt that has, like,
0: one commandment and just says, don't be a dick. The
1: one commandment. Don't be a dick.
0: Yeah. I love it. I'm going to get to work on this t-shirt immediately. (laughs) But now that we are appropriately plugged, let's take our first viewer mail of the year by opening the box
1: You've got mail.
0: Thank you, Targo. I'm so glad you decided to stick around with us for the new year. Now get back in your cave. Uh, This first tweeted, by the way, these were tweeted because we are all kinds of in the 20... Whatever, for first century. century. Is, yeah. uh, so this uh, first tweet comes from Jim Clark, who asks, Just wondering, what are some of your favorite films of 2013? Now, we'll probably have an entire separate show devoted to the best and worst, but just to kind of give you a sampling of some of my favorites, uh, Dallas Buyers Club, for sure. Her, definitely. And you're next. Three of my favorite films of 2013.
1: Uh if, I'm just giving my top three, pr- probably. I'm still working out the final details, but really, Her is my favorite film this year. It just really blew me away. Uh 12 Years a Slave is my second, because let's face it, I still owe something. So, yeah. you know, my people, I'm sorry. I've been, yeah. But both generations, right back you, to the you're Mayflower. You're
0: paying reparations by I'm, naming that your number two film
1: of the year? I, I feel now like my liberal guilt has been completely assuaged. So
0: 12 Years a Slave does not equal 40 acres. I'm just going <laughs> to just gonna throw that out there.
1: It's a start, Brian. All it's right, a right. start, okay?
0: <laughs> Don't want to make you feel more white guilty. <laughs>
1: Makes you feel any better. I'm going to get around to watching that Long Walk to Freedom movie at some point, too.
0: Good. <laughs> Elsa Mandela would sure appreciate it if you got around to that at some point. Uh, and
1: my third is 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 Gravity, which I really, oh, really thought was spectacular. Definitely. So, but much longer lists, much uh, bigger details, and a look at what the whole staff thinks about the best and worst of the year. Going to be coming up soon.
0: Absolutely. This second question comes from... This is never fails, that I don't look for names I can't pronounce, but it never fails that I pick someone's name who I can't pronounce. This second question comes from Jacques Ciesla, 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 Jacques Ciesla who asks... What is something in the Criterion collection that you hate or dislike? For me, it's Antichrist. It, <laughs> no, no, I'm not. That's not my answer. That was the rest of the question. No, no, no. I
1: was going to say that's one of those, like, people just love it or they hate it.
0: Yeah, and, it is. It's a know, divisive movie. It, it is.
1: And the thing is, like, I did really love it, but I cannot defend it either. Mm-hmm. It's insane and it's aggravating and it's everything that Lars von Trier is. And I can see why that's probably 70% of the people in the world's not their cup of tea. Sure. Sure. So, uh, for me personally, I won't go go as far as
0: to say hate. Although at one point in my movie watching career, I would have designated this subgenre as something I hated. French New Wave has a lot of titles in the Criterion Collection, and it is not my cup of café au lait. <laughs> However, um, you know, I, I again with Criterion, it's not so much about. M- Picking movies that are my favorite movies, it is about picking movies that they feel is important to the scope of cinema and the history of film. And I can completely understand on that level why you would include French New Wave, because it was incredibly influential and still continues to influence directors. Uh, But if I have to sit through Breathless one more time, I may kill somebody with the cigarette that I've been smoking the entire film and smoking since I was four years old.
1: I still haven't actually seen that. Uh, I'm looking forward to it because everyone tells me how good it is.
0: You ever had that day where you can't get out of bed so you just kind of like roll around and you're like, oh, I don't really want to get up. I know this is a lazy day. I'm doing nothing productive and kind of look like a sloth, but I'm just going to keep laying here.
1: Uh That's Breathless.
0: Huh. That's, I, the in, that's the movie.
1: Did you know that Criterion put out RoboCop at one point? I
0: do. I own that DVD, by the way, that out-of-print RoboCop Criterion I DVD. I hope that's going
1: to be coming up on their Blu-ray collection, because the one they actually put out wasn't all that great.
0: No, but it would be... Yeah, you're right. It would be fucking amazing if we had a RoboCop Criterion Blu-ray. You know,
1: there are various different things in Criterion that aren't really my thing. Like, you're talking about Breathless. You're like... It's just not really my thing. It's not so much as not worthy of the collection. It's just not really your thing. And there's certainly several I can think of like that. But as far as ones, I still go, why in the fuck is this on Criterion? That award has to go to Armageddon. (laughs) 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 Why is there a Criterion edition of Armageddon? The
0: Rock we have no problem with. Armageddon, on the other hand. I
1: I get that like people are very... like. Well, The Rock is a lot more fun. Even so, uh, I can say it's questionable being on Criterion. But still... Look, I know there are people who like Armageddon. I'm looking at you, Cargill. But um,
0: <laughs> it's
1: it's one of those films that, at best, I can say you enjoy it because it's so bad it's good. Sure. I mean, I, may I remind you of Ben Affleck with the dancing animal crackers on Liv Tyler's chest, or scene. the
0: entirely sentient piece of floating space rock yes. that tries to throw the astronauts off of it? It's a rock.
1: It has no emotions. Maybe it is the sequel to The Rock. Maybe Ooh. it was Alcatraz itself getting revenge.
0: See, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. Like a floating Alcatraz in space I'm a chemical hurtling towards su- the I'm Earth. I'm
1: a chemical super freak. A chemical super freak.
0: I just sat through five Nicolas Cage movies in a row at the draft house. I was dying
1: laughing watching the second episode of uh, Community where where Abed gets, like, possessed by Nicolas Cage, I'm a cat! I'm a cat! I'm a cat! I'm a a sexy cat. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing that you were about to do that, and I was like, okay. Well, it wasn't just that, but in that episode specifically,
0: the class they're taking is Nicolas Cage, good or bad. And in the episode, the teacher tells Abed, watch five Nicolas Cage movies, but do not marathon them. Spread it out. Basically saying it's dangerous to watch five Nicolas Cage movies back to back to back, and that's exactly what I did on Sunday. And in community's defense, I am a little warped because of it. What
1: were the five movies, out of curiosity? I only heard the first two, Vampire's Kiss and... Uh, leaving Las uh, Vegas. Leaving Las Vegas. Which I
0: thought was funny. After Leaving so. Las Vegas, they gave us a tumbler glass with Nicolas Cage's face on it, <laughs> despite the fact that at that point, nobody wanted to drink ever again. Right, sure. Uh, Firebirds was the third one, which... Never even heard of that. Yeah, it's an like late 80s early 90s action film that was like remember top gun what if it had helicopters and was shittier ah
1: Yeah, mm. well, which is by default adding Nicolas Cage to it. There you go. Was he Nicolas Cage or Coppola at that point?
0: Uh, he was still he was Nicolas Cage. OK, yeah. And then the fourth movie was Con Air. OK, of course. which is silly. I know. But as I watched it this time, I realized it's the only movie that I've ever legitimately bought Nicolas Cage as an action star. Every other movie where he's tried to play an action here, I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. But that's the one movie I'm like, your accent's dumb and your hair is dumb, but you're kind of pulling this off. I don't know what it is. And then we – the last film was a great sort of fuck you switcheroo because it started up – they were like, look, I know we do all these marathons. We always try to focus on 35 millimeter and make that the, the sole presentation method. But this film didn't have a good 35 millimeter print, so I'm sorry. It's got to be digital. So we're all thinking, wow, this must be good if they're willing to you know, break the 35 millimeter rule. So it starts up and we see John, a John Woo film. We're like, oh, shit, it's face-off. That's going to be awesome. Yeah. And then wind talkers came across the screen <laughs> and you could feel the whole audience go, oh, fuck, really? <laughs> I kind of like. And then all of a sudden, boom, that stops. The theater goes dark and a 35 print, a well-loved 35 print of the Coen Brothers Raising Arizona starts Oh, nice. Out, and it was like, you motherfuckers, you got us.
1: Even so, I'd like to point out that I think he's a convincing action star in Face Off.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Still, even, I don't know what it is. I I don't, I, I can't put I, my finger on it exactly.
1: I giddily love that movie.
0: <laughs> I do too. But even that movie, I'm like, it's it's not an action star, it's Nicolas Cage. And, and Con Air is the only movie I'm like, oh, Nicolas Cage is an action star. And then as soon as the credits roll, I'm like, that's a ridiculous thing to think.
1: But it happened. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do?
0: I, I had a blast. I'm really glad that they did. Uh, I, I would have preferred it if they called it a Cage Match, but they just went with Caged. <laughs>
1: So cage match would have
0: been better. I agree.
1: Why aren't you working for the Alamo? Don't freaking know, Chris. (laughs) Sorry. Are you doing Vampire's Kiss there? It (laughs) seemed like that.
0: (laughs) Such a good movie. You guys should watch Vampire's Kiss if you haven't.
1: We're going to go ahead and close
0: the letterbox for this week and move on to... The Reviews! reviews. And reminding you yet again that we will have a, a little image for every item that we discuss, that we review. And that image will take you directly to Amazon. Even if you get there and you don't buy the specific thing that we reviewed, as long as you get to Amazon via our links, anything you buy... Benefits the site, and we really do appreciate that. Keep doing that.
1: And if you are buying something that we reviewed on there, like I said, please leave a comment on the Amazon page uh, that links back to us or mentions us. That'd be like, this is where you heard about it.
0: Tell your friends. Tell people you don't know on Amazon. Well, we're going to start this week. I've kind of dubbed this episode Januscary, because (laughs) there are a lot of horror films that we need to talk about this week. There are. And right out of the gate, we're going to talk about Insidious Chapter 2, which is, of course, the sequel to James Wan's fantastic haunted house thriller, Insidious, which came out, I believe, in
1: 2010, 2011? Uh, Yeah, 11.
0: Okay, 2011. Uh,
1: The thing about Insidious 2 is it is better than a horror sequel of this sort should be by a sizable margin. That being said, it followed too close on the heels of The Conjuring, which is a much better film. And I think a lot of people had their excitement up so high that it was tempered by the fact that it's, like I said, just not as good a film as that. Well, I, I
0: think, honestly, in terms of story, in terms of character, it's just as strong as Insidious. Where it falls short is it's not as creepy as Insidious. Well,
1: it, it falls back on a cliche that is, like, there's a lot of use of cliche that then they expand and do something interesting with. Agreed. But the one that they do that drives me crazy is, like, the woman in the white wedding dress with the black the black hair, which is mentioned and dealt with a little bit towards the end of the first one. Mm-hmm. Here, she's kind of the main villain of the film. It's brought up with the character of Josh, uh, who we've already seen at the end of the last film, sorry, spoiler, played by Patrick Wilson, has been possessed by the spirit uh so we start off with sort of this premise something's wrong with josh is he possessed is he not well we're reasonably sure as a viewer he is right off the bat lots of images of the creepy bride and white walking around while his wife played by Ro- Rose roseburn isn't sure if she saw what she thought she saw. That being said, that image—it's just not creepy anymore. We've seen it a hundred times already. See,
0: I'm surprised that you didn't buy, or you didn't enjoy that because to me, when they explained the the woman in the black wedding dress from the end of the first one, it felt to me like a storyline from American Horror Story. Yeah, like I got to the point where I was like, okay, this is just over the top enough that I really think it's awesome. And I agree with you. They use convention, they use cliche to a certain extent, and then when right when you think you've got the movie figured out. They not only do the put new twists on convention, but they also sort of redefine their own timeline and redefine their own mythology. That's
1: the best part of it.
0: That's in a way that I think is better than what the Paranormal Activity franchise is doing oh, right now. Oh,
1: I completely agree with you there. It's a lot more clever. And plus we're getting, you know, it, how, it's five Paranormal Activity films and finally something is actually happening with the plot. Yeah. This is like the second film and it has gone a huge way away from where it started. Definitely. Like very twisty and turny, but in a way that, you don't have to think too hard about to figure out. It's not like the saw films where you're watching a soap opera, where it just constantly adds new stuff that you're like, come on. Yeah. This is actually messing with like time travel and all sorts of neat little elements to sort of make the film loop back in on itself and in back into the original film. Like things that we didn't – that you never even occurred were stuff you didn't know what they were in the first film is explained now by events that happen in the second film. Well, it's funny
0: because you just chalk up all unexplained events in the first one to ghostly activity, which makes total sense. And then this, it's like, yes, but... And I like what they did with the yes, but...
1: And like I said, I agree with you. It's clever. Mm-hmm. It's just not all that scary this time. Yeah,
0: that's the problem. And I
1: think the biggest problem is that you don't have Darth Maul this time. You <laughs> yeah. know? And let's face it, Darth Maul is a scary ghost. That I mean, was, he was yeah. scary enough when he was alive. The movie he was in was terrifying. Yeah. but
0: It's horrifying to go back and revisit Phantom Menace. Exactly. Phantom Menace, in fact. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, uh,
1: He's dead and a ghost in the first one. And you're like, okay, he is a really scary ghost. Yes, I know it's not really Darth Maul. Someone's going to comment that. But come on, yeah. he looks like Darth Maul. I'm calling him Darth Maul. People,
0: somebody commented that we got colorblindness wrong. I know. was just I like, was like, you guys, come on. Come on. Yeah, I know. You're <laughs> well, taking that's... this shit a little literally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look between the lines. Well,
0: I don't think Ashley actually has colorblindness. No, she doesn't. That was <laughs> a joke. It was
1: very funny, though. <laughs> <laughs> um it, Yeah, it's, that character was so frightening. It was so effectively used here. I think most of the actual ghost events are, they, those are the things that fall back on cliche and it doesn't really fix or alter those cliches, those moments that are supposed to be scary. So. Yeah, doesn't work on that level, works on a twisty, cool, wow, this is an interesting plot development level, but you got to have both to some degree, which is why this isn't as good as the first film.
0: Well, I remember walking out of The Conjuring this year. I mean, you have you guys have to remember The Conjuring and Insidious 2, two James Wan Haunted House films coming out in the same year. Yeah. When I came out of The Conjuring, I was like, wow, that's a great film, but my second and nagging thought was, what has he got left in his bag of tricks for Insidious 2 now? And unfortunately, the answer is not much. I feel like he really experienced expelled a lot of his his masterful tricks in The Conjuring when, even when I was sitting down for The Conjuring I'm like, okay, well he's done Insidious, how is he going to make this different from that? And he did that really well but th- he's really just, I think there's too much of a demand on him and he, obviously I'm not excusing him for that, I'm saying that he's sort of taken on a little too much doing, you know, Insidious and then The Conjuring and then Insidious too. it's just like, man, you need to Branch it out a little bit so you don't you don't shoot your whole wad at once. Yeah, the
1: next movie he's making called is The Fast and the Insidious.
0: There you go. The Fast and the Insidious. <laughs> absolutely. I, I, well, he's going to have at least one ghost in it. Well, so. he
1: is actually taking over the Fast and the Furious films. Right. So. And he's
0: going to have one ghost in yeah,
1: it. Yeah, of course. The yeah, ghost of Paul yeah, Walker. Exactly. In a sense. A little yeah. ghost, on, ghost image on the frame or something. Something like that. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, and the thing about these still is that, like, if you're one of those people who doesn't just love these type of movies anyway, you're not even going to like the first one. It's all filled with all the like creaky door opens by itself, ghost image on a photograph, like tons of stuff that are cliches in the genre. They're just done so well. And much like shows like American Horror Story, this movie's like, you know, we shouldn't get one of these every 20 minutes. Yeah. This is like bang, 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 bang. Every frame has something like that happening. So it's like, okay, are they scary by themselves? No, but will you keep? Like throwing them at you after a while, it creates an atmosphere that actually works and is not just a little bit creepy, but fun creepy. You're just was, having a good time with it.
0: I will say this is my favorite remake of Nightmare on Elm Street 3 The Dream Warriors. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Of the none that have come before it. So <laughs> I was there is. Say, a, that. Was there,
1: there must be something else. Doesn't Dream Dreamscape count?
0: I don't know. Maybe Bad Dreams, yeah. potentially. But I feel like there was literally a point where I was like, I can go into the dream mom and pull that out. And I was like, and then a Freddy worm will show up in the basement. What's happening here? It was just, it was really funny. And not only that, but the the two like bumbling paranormal investigator characters, one of whom is played by co-writer Lee Wannell.
1: Who actually really enjoyed in this. Yeah, movie,
0: so. I feel like they gave them more to do, and they made them, like, I kind of want to see a third movie that's just about that ghost-busting team.
1: Yeah, th- in the first movie... Because he... you know who ain't afraid of no ghost?
0: Lin Shay. <laughs> Apparently Lin so. Shay ain't afraid of no fucking ghosts.
1: Well, yeah, in the first film, they were kind of underused and even a little irritating. Uh, here, they actually give them a lot more to do, and they are genuinely funny in the stuff they get to do here. So, yeah, all for that. I like also the continuation with, like, there's a character from the first film who ain't around no more but actually becomes a character in the second film even so much as seeming to lead us into whatever Insidious 3 already in pre-production will be about. Yeah. I like that. I'm like, cool, let's keep this going. Anyway, this has of course got a a nice collection of extra content, 15 minutes of behind the scenes, uh, a seven minute look at the ghost in human makeup and practical visuals, uh, a look at uh, like Insidious Journal from Lee Whannell where he discusses his dual life on the set! Uh, kind of the funny piece, basically. A look at Haunted Hospital on location where uh, basically it's L.A. Paranormal Association guides take audiences through the haunted history of the hospital where they filmed this place at, which is cool. I didn't know it was actually supposed to be haunted. So sweet. Uh, there's an onset Q&A. There is a three webisodes called Insidious Spectral Sightings to give you a little bit of extra, you know, a little bit of extra scares and stuff they put on the Internet to promote it. So very cool. Good stuff. I think, even though, like I said, of the three James Wan ghost films, this is the weakest, it's still pretty damn good.
0: It's it's a decent film. And I will caution you that when you watch this movie, for more reasons than one, you're going to want to kill all the lights in your house. Yeah. One, because it's creepy. And secondly, because this movie is filmed with very dark tones. Like, it, the, there's a lot of shadow. There's a lot of deep, rich black in this Blu-ray, which is great. But if you have even a single light on in your house, it'll be really easy to miss something.
1: Yeah, I'll also say as well, just to add to that... Why would you ever watch any horror movie without all the lights off and the sound way up? I mean, you're just – it drives me crazy when I know people who are like, oh, yeah, I watched that when I was working on paper for school. It's like, then you didn't watch it.
0: You're (laughs) You're preaching to the demon choir over here. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Like, it's all about creating an atmosphere, and you're not going to get scared if you're also going like, okay, subsection A, paragraph B.
0: I watched this movie in an empty office building. I was the only one in there. It was 2 in the morning, so – that was pretty awesome. And
1: he's not lying that is actually how he watched it. Yeah, it, it was so. it was
0: kind of horrifying, but uh, I was
1: telling him the first time I ever watched The Exorcist was on like a tiny little black and white TV at private school with this little like arts craft shed that was like almost a mile away from the the main <laughs> dorms in the middle of the night when i was supposed to be there for like a detention type thing like working on a paper as punishment instead i found this old tv plugged it in and dusted it off i was like oh look the Exorcist starting i never did see that scared the fuck out of me
0: <laughs> weird how that works yeah well moving on from insidious chapter two we're going to talk about the Complete Burn Notice, which is about a ghost that sets people on fire. No, it's,
1: no? it's not. It's, oh. I, I thought we were doing horror.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: Well, it's anyway. Not, Jan, you're scary, really. Except the weird question is, how come of all the seasons of the show, the only ones that stuff that ever came out on Blu-ray were season two... And then the follow-up made-for-TV movie uh, that focused on a prequel about Bruce Campbell's character. Other than that, all the rest of the seven seasons, nope, just came out on DVD. And sure enough, this Burno's Notice box set comes with just those DVD sets, and that's it. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Including that final movie, of course. But what this is, is this was a USA Network show that aired from 2007 till 2013, starring the very likable Jeffrey Donovan as a very competent uh, spy who's in the middle of a job gets a uh, basically told, sorry, we can't do that. You've been burned. It's like, wait, what? And so then he's got to drop everything and kill a bunch of people and get out of there. What it comes down to is apparently intelligence agencies issue burn notices to discredit or announce a dismissal of agents or sources who are announced uh, considered to become unreliable. The problem is for him is he didn't do anything wrong. Are you reading from the CIA handbook over yeah, there? pretty much. That's okay. what got. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have the <laughs> CIA handbook.
0: No one does. That would be a bad thing abort, for us to have.
1: Abort. Abort.
0: <laughs> <laughs> The monkey is out of the cat box. I repeat, the monkey is out of the cat box. And he's
1: so adorable. He's so cute. (laughs) Uh, So this show, all seven seasons, is about him, tiny bit by tiny bit, getting pieces of information about who is the person who ordered this burn notice on him. Basically, the agency has him set up where, like, you need to stay where you are in Miami. If you stay there, we won't kill you. But if you leave Miami, all bets are off, which is a convenient way to keep your low budget budgeted show yeah, you have location. to stay in Miami. Uh, fortunately, he has the help. You could also of- <laughs> just put a dome over the top of it. <laughs> True. Fortunately, he has the help of several people. Always there. One is the g- gorgeous Gabrielle Anwar, who plays Fiona, who is a ex IRA operative and his ex girlfriend, who basically is all for all extents and purposes stalking him to try and get him back as a boyfriend. But you know. She is really hot and it's kind of hard to, you know, I mean, come on, like stalking is not a cool thing to stalk anyone. But if Scarlett Johansson was stalking me, I'll allow it. It's, you know, you're going to be a little nicer about it, is all I'm saying. Plus, she's an incredibly competent uh, spy on her own right. So she helps him a lot along with so you can have the running sexual tension throughout the show. Also helping is Bruce Campbell playing Sam, Sam Axe. Weird name.
0: Sam Axe is a great name. uh,
1: Who is a obviously aging, somewhat retired covert operative and former Navy SEAL who still works with the FBI, but is good friends and owes a lot to uh, the lead character, uh, Jeffrey Donovan's character, Michael Western. So he basically is his connection to try and get him little here's how we're going to help people for small amounts of money jobs that turns it into... Well, every show that was made in the nineteen eighties, pretty much. Sure, sure. (laughs) You know, goes around, Oh, my cousin is has a person who took all their money and it turns out that they're people who have guns. Douchebag of the week. Yeah, exactly. Douchebag Mm -hmm. of the week show. No It's unfortunate that this couldn't have ever really evolved past that. Now, I've only watched straight through maybe a season and a half in this before I finally went, okay, this is what this is. This is a show that was like (laughs) the tail end of shows like this being acceptable. I have figured you out, Burn Notice. And, you know, it was going on around the same time, more or less, that Chuck was. There was also sort of a spy show with a very episodic setup that had lots of... You know humor hum- humor based around it and quirky characters but chuck was just much better and also moved the plot forward for this is always like everything he finds out it's like two steps back and you're like i've got seven fucking seasons of this
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> are you kidding me uh no there's it's one of the funny things too is seeing a lot of familiar faces along the way as you watch this and people went on to be bigger stars but even so there's charm to everybody who's in this. It's a well put together show for what it is, but it still is what it is, mm. you know, and by today's standards, this feels pretty dated to me. Mm-hmm. However, like I said, if you I every once in a while I encounter those people are like I'm so sick of shows that I can't just watch start wherever I want to. Hey, this is not a bad option for that type of show, quite frankly. Uh, I wish the box set had more. In the way of extras than just, hey, look at this convenient hard slipcase cover that they all fit inside of. Yeah. But, you know, which is literally just the original DVD set separately wrapped, shoved into the box. But, hey, what are you going to do?
0: Something better, hopefully, for the next go around of this release.
1: Did I mention also uh, his mom is Sharon Glass, uh, who you may not actually know the name of, but she played Cagney on Cagney and Lacey, ha. which there are the occasional Cagney and Lacey jokes hidden in the show, too, nice. which I think is kind of funny. But. I like it.
0: Well, you mentioned Scarlett Johansson stalking you and how that mm. wouldn't be a bad thing, and that t- dovetails nicely into our next title, which is Don John, which is the directorial debut of JGL.
1: Is that what we're going to call him now? I, I really I protest against Uh We the...
0: could also go with Jogo levy or... I thought it
1: was jo- jo- just Jojo Levy.
0: Jojo Levy. Yeah. I don't know Jojo I,
1: Levy and, and Scar Jo.
0: I usually just refer Scar to Scar Jojo
1: Levy. Oh my god! Oh my god!
0: Oh my god! It's Celebrity like... coupleception. <laughs> now, I usually just refer to him as the the little Chinese girl from Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah.
1: So he did look like a little Chinese. Girl. <laughs> Am I wrong? Like totally. come on, it was weird. <laughs> I don't know. What, I don't know what his ethnic background is, but maybe his dad was a little Chinese girl. It,
0: it's hard to say. But know. Joseph Gordon Levitt here uh, is directing and wrote this movie about. A, a Lothario, a, a Guido of the, uh, with a capital G in New Jersey, who is really, really good at betting women from the bar, but he also has an addiction to internet porn. And uh, the kind of, the movie is about how those two worlds clash. And it co stars Scarlett Johansson in her most hoodrat role I think I've ever seen, and yet buried under the layers of sweatsuits and hairspray. It's still Scarlett Johansson.
1: Yeah, you see her character in this, who is very much like just a hot girl you might see on uh, what is that show with with the uh, Jersey Shore. Jersey Shore. Where yeah. You're like, wow, she's really hot, but she's still a girl from the Jersey Shore. I thought you
0: were going to ask me what's that show they film with the Jersey Shore.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, the Jersey Shore. Jersey Shore. Shore yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Isn't the OC? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
0: I don't know where. The, I don't know what that show is. They film it in the OC though. <laughs>
1: uh you know the thing that made this movie more than just kind of a what it could have been just a simple series of one-off silly jokes is that it's about a a boy growing into a man ultimately in terms of how he relates to woman there's a Mm -hmm. subtext to this film that really is the point in and of itself of the movie ultimately that makes it an incredibly intelligent movie yet still Gets by by a lot of really funny, puerile humor along the way to get there. I mean, ultimately, his problem is that he objectifies woman. He objectifies yeah. everything. Everything to him is just an object. I mean, he collects woman he slept with, and he and his friends write ratings. When he meets Scarlett Johansson, she's as she is like an eleven. Yeah, never actually met an eleven before, much less slept with one. But now he doesn't know what to do. You're at the top of your game when it comes to women that are an object when you think of him that way, to possess. Yeah. What do you do when you have her? You realize, what if you're not good enough for her?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing, too, that the interesting parallel between his dating life and the porn addiction is that it's it's sex on demand and it's, it's sex without any kind of emotion, yeah. which is both, you know, how internet porn works and how his dating life works. So it's just interesting to see him work through that and also work through... The very weird relationship he has with Scarlett Johansson. Well, she's
1: just as shallow as he is, ultimately, yeah. but just in a very... Like, he's in such a almost cliched, shallow guy way. She's a very cliched, shallow woman way. Well,
0: and it's funny, because he's sort of accepted his shallowness. He's in yeah. peace with it, whereas she is very judgmental and doesn't even, doesn't even accept the fact that she herself is as shallow as he is. Yeah, and I
1: find that, like, part of his transformation, which ultimately comes through a friendship that he awkwardly develops with Julianne Moore playing an older uh, woman that he he meets at a, a you know, uh, extended learning class, basically, mm-hmm. that her starting to teach him about, like, you know, this is, the real women are not like you think they are. Right. Uh, is how we, it's that combination of things, that disenchantment with what he thought the ultimate goal should be and learning about, like, How to think about people in more than one dimension that makes his film and that character so interesting. And you really do root for him. He certainly doesn't start at somebody you root for. (laughs) Yeah. And and
0: I think this is the thing about Joseph Gordon Levitt as a filmmaker. This is his first one out of the gate. And already you're seeing some stylistic choices, you're seeing some adeptness at storytelling, and you're seeing some adeptness at character development. I'm really, really interested. I liked Don John a lot, but I'm really interested to see what he does next. Yeah, no,
1: this is definitely... There's still some marks to this that that you're like, this wasn't quite finished from a writing point. It's almost there. Yeah. There's some elements that feel untied up in a way that, considering the type of film it is, that they should have tied up. Like, things like, like asking the question about a man using pornography... It raises the question. It never answers it. Nor does it set you up to consider it it's for philosophical yourself. blue balls. Yeah, it, yeah. It never sets it. It sets you up to answer it for yourself. It just kind of moves past it. Ultimately, it's more dealing about lying about being addicted to pornography than being into pornography. I, I thought that was a little awkward that they kind of just go, okay, well never mind. <laughs> but ultimately it's a minor point uh, and you're right. I think he's got bigger things in front of him. I think as well, there's some brilliant casting here on the side with uh, Tony Danza who plays his dad who is yeah. so funny and surprisingly Brie Larson who had a hell of a year this year um, Big year for her uh, who has only has one line in the whole movie other than grunting pretty much <laughs> but playing his sister but she's really funny like the whole movie she's on her cell phone pretty much yeah but they, they actually do good things with her in here. I forget who played. Oh yeah Glenn. Headley plays his mom who I was not that familiar with I recognized her but I was like okay I think she was in a
0: bunch of stuff in the 90s
1: yeah yeah she actually had a big film career for a while and then kind of moved on to being more of a TV actress Dick
0: Tracy is always what I remember her from she was Dick Tracy's girlfriend not Madonna but the actual girlfriend
1: Uh, was she uh, she was in Purple Rose of Cairo she was in a bunch of stuff anyway but uh, yeah this is a lot of fun I highly recommend it and here's another reason to recommend it there's tons of cool extra features on this one now Joe, JoJo Levy or whatever whatever you want to say. Yep. Uh, he has a lot of side projects. He does. He has a publishing company. He does like uh, multiple websites. His big web rep, uh, thing is called Hit Record, I believe. Hit Record. Hit Record. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, like Hit Record, but Hit Record. Right. So, because rec-
0: right. he calls himself Hit Record Joe.
1: Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, and there's uh apparently he asked fans to submit shorts. Uh, asking them questions about love and happiness. So there's several of his favorites on here, one of the best of which is a fully animated short that they did that he and some other people did voices for called Vinegar that's pretty fun on here. Uh, there's a making of thing. There is a thing called Don John's Origin where Jojo talks about the story's origins and uh, getting it to screen. There's a discussion on him balancing his role as a director, writer, and actor. There's a look from the leads talking about their thoughts on overabundance of sex in the media, which is in, inter- you know, be interested in that, seeing what Tony Danza has to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> <Duh>. <laughs> so I'm, I'm the boss. I'm sure he's very smart. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, From the roles he takes, you wouldn't think so, but, you know, come on.
0: Well, I mean, we had that same issue with Keanu Reeves, and then we saw Side by Side, we're like,
1: oh. Turns out he's like a Mensa graduate and all this stuff. You're like, oh, really? Tony Danza, in his spare time, is uh, working at the physics lab at CERN.
0: He's working on the Hadron Collider. Yeah. He is the boss of the Hadron Collider. (laughs) (laughs) No, he's not. No, 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 no.
1: But anyway, yes, highly recommended. Um, In fact, I am going to give this my pick of the week. Nice. Right on.
0: Uh, I'm just trying to think. Actually, I think my pick of the week might be, oh, well, it's it's going to be down the road. So I know we'll, what your pick of the week yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. So coming up, our next title we're going to talk about is something that uh, I got a chance to see. I don't think Chris did. It was released by a tiny label, Grindhouse Releasing. It's called The Big Gundown, and it is a, it's the first Blu-ray release, really the first release anywhere of this spaghetti western starring Lee Van Cleef. And uh, Thomas Milan.
1: It's interesting, the soundtracks here by Ennio uh, and this is certainly not one, I would assume, not one of his more famous soundtracks.
0: No, but we've heard it before. There is a specific point in this movie where he starts to blend his traditional sort of pan flutes and uh, Mexican guitar spaghetti western music with Beethoven's uh, fifth. So it starts out, uh, maybe may, may, not Beethoven's Fifth, but uh,
1: some classical music thing. Da,
0: da, 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 da. Yeah, that, and then that. he goes into the the more Mexican sounding spaghetti Western music, and Quentin Tarantino used that in Glorious Bastards*. Uh-huh. I was listening; I was like, I've heard this before.
1: Well, it's interesting because uh, there's a very famous New York jazz musician named John Zorn who made a whole collection of very well received. Right. Uh, tributes to Ennio Morricone's music called The Big Gundown. Oh, There's nice. a whole bunch of them uh, that are all done, like, filtered through New York acid jazz, basically. Gotcha. Pretty damn cool. I have to loan those to you. If yeah, I no. Like them. But, yeah, it's weird, because it's, like, such an obscure little film to, to take the name from. But, anyway, tell me about the movie. I'm curious
0: now. This is a great film, and I was actually, I remember the Draft House had a 35 print of this about a year ago that I wasn't able to get to and see, and I was really disappointed because they are talking about what a great sort of lost western this was, especially a great performance by Lee Van Cleef, and just a great story, and they were absolutely right. This is a movie about a guy who, he's sort of a bounty hunter, he's really just kind of a, a fringe lawman, he's a guy who can just find people. That's his job, is he, he can find outlaws, he can find these people that need to be brought to justice, he's the best at it, and during the course of the movie... His politi- he's at a party of his politician friend who's trying to convince him to become a senator and it comes down... Like, they get news that this, this young girl has been raped and killed and they know who did it. So the whole movie is him chasing down this guy and it becomes almost sort of like a midnight run situation where every time he gets the guy, the guy weasels his way out and then he has to chase him again. It's not Charles Grodin. No, it's not Charles Grodin. uh, Nor at all am I suggesting this movie is influenced by a film that came out 20 years after it did, but (laughs) it's just, it has that kind of vibe to it where it's like you have the competent lawman and this little weasel of a crook, but the weasel is always able to get away. And it's almost comical in the way that he has to keep chasing him into these different places and meeting these different colorful characters but then the movie turns on a dime and completely changes up the narrative as to, as far as what you think is going on. And that's when it becomes really interesting. And the big gun down itself at the end is prop, I would put it on par, frankly, with like the shootout at the beginning of Once Upon a Time in the West.
1: Well, it's interesting. Some critics have actually called this one of the greatest spaghetti westerns. Leonard Malton, who admittedly, uh, has didn't given miss. good ratings. To Gave some a good th- review to Laser Blast. Yeah, so I was, was going to say, he there. was like, oh, look, he thought Laser Blast was better than Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Look, he thought it was better than Die Hard 2. Yeah. Uh, he said it was second only to the Dollars Trilogy by Sergio Leone. So. It's
0: fantastic. It is a movie that if you are into spaghetti westerns or if you're just getting into them, like if you want a few uh, amuse-bouche films that will whet your appetite for spaghetti westerns, this is this is the garlic bread. If you're waiting to get into spaghetti <laughs> westerns, this is the garlic Appetizer bread that will get you there. Yeah, you'll
1: dip the rest of the sauce in. Yeah, absolutely. I am so hungry. I know. I really
0: made myself hungry with that analogy. <laughs> I shouldn't do that. And this is a hell of a release because not only is it a new 2K digital restoration of the film that looks beautiful, near flawless. Like this is one of the best transfers I've seen that we've covered. Like it is beautiful. And not only that, but they include the, the complete 110-minute director's cut uh, that's presented. The the version, like, the theatrical version is is dubbed, and there's really, like, you can't change that. But the director's cut is in Italian with English subtitles, and it is, uh, it even has a different name, actually, uh, La Reza de Conti, which I believe The Ugly Man Cometh, or something like that. Like, The Ugly Man something, something, something. Um, but it is, it's a completely different version of the film, and they've, com- uh, it's, they have both versions presented here. They also have the original soundtrack pres- presented here as a bonus CD. Huh. Uh, there's auto-commentary by Western Film Experts. There's uh, in-depth interviews with the director, with Thomas Milan, with the screenwriter, who also wrote Once Upon a Time in the West, so there's your connection there. Uh, it is just jam-packed with all kinds of special features. Way more than you would expect from a lost you know, mid-60s spaghetti Western, but just just an amazing release. For a terrific film that I can't recommend
1: highly enough. I am really sad that I never even got an email about this. I didn't either. It just showed up at my door. Really?
0: It's Yeah, I I don't really get stuff from Grindhouse mm-hmm. Releasing. They must have known, I don't know how they knew, but they must have known that this would be something that would tickle my fancy. Yeah, I guess so. Consider my fancy tickled. Consider me
1: untickled, goddammit, what the hell?
0: <laughs> definitely, definitely
1: check this out, should make it up by buying us a nice spaghetti dinner.
0: I agree. Yes. I agree. No meatballs about it. So we're going to move on from there to a film I've actually seen but it's been a long time that was just released on Blu-ray and that is Nightmare City getting back into the horror films for a second here. and
1: Italian films for that matter indeed uh this was also has been titled City of the Walking Dead or and City of the Living Dead uh don't it's not there's another film under both those titles. Not that. Now it's being released as Nightmare uh, City. This is by um- Umberto Lenzi, who's probably best from, uh, known for his absolutely horrific and terrible horror film, Cannibal Ferox. Fuck that movie. Yeah, seriously. I can't stand Italian cannibal films.
0: I can't either. And you know what? It's, it's one of the few places where I'm like, a lot of times I'm very live and let live with what you want to like in terms of movies. But people who are like wearing the T-shirts from Cannibal Holocaust, this movie's great. Fuck those people. They <laughs> give all horror fans a bad name.
1: I don't know some people love that shit. Eli Roth loves that shit. I'm just kidding.
0: I'm gonna rest my case right there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I saw something the other day where someone was insulting someone. It's like, hey, guy who probably owns all of Eli Roth's movies on DVD. I was like, oh, oh it was in community. <laughs> it was it community. He, yeah. he called his
0: former partner uh, Eli Roth DVD owner. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ooh, that's Dave. Burn. Burn. <laughs> uh, no face. Don't get me wrong. This is a bad movie. It's super bad. But it's one of those films that is really so bad, it's entertaining as hell. The effects are awful. But they're constant. It's a zombie <laughs> film that they said, no, 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 it's not a zombie film. It's a disease. It's a radiation sickness film. It's, it's the one
0: that starts at the power plant. It just right? so
1: happens to have uh, people who can't be killed except being shot in the head, who <laughs> whenever they bite someone else, turn into one of them as well. It's not a zombie not film. not a Chris. zombie film. They're diseased. They're infected. <laughs> But it's everything that you want from a cheesy horror film that never stops going. It starts with American TV reporter Dean Miller, who's at a a European airport waiting for the arrival of a scientist he's supposed to interview about a recent nuclear accident, but- this other plane shows up and makes an emergency landing. The plane doors open, and that guy, including and also like a clown car amount of zombies, pour out of <laughs> this thing and just start attacking all these well armed soldiers and somehow win. Do you
0: think they have to check their own limbs as as you know separate baggage, or can they carry that? Only on? if
1: they're actually removed. <laughs> well, that's good to know. I mean, in at least in the beginning, everyone is well armed. <laughs> get it. Well armed. I get it. So he runs off. He's trying to let people know what's going on but the Minister of Civil Defense shuts it down and his TV station down but it doesn't matter because these things are everywhere instantly. And it's a very generic sort of horror film but it's Remarkable in the way that it's just so silly. The way they try and sci- to scientifically explain why these things exist and why shooting them in the head is the only way to kill them—like I mean, these really ridiculously lame explanations. The way that, like, the effects are—I mean, there's so much blood, but it all looks so fake. It's laugh-out-loud funny, mm-hmm. and that these zombies constantly rip women's shirts open. There's more boobs in this than any horror movie I've probably ever seen. They're just like, before I eat you, I'm gonna rip tear your boob off first. Just because. there's a scene where he literally c- the guy cuts a woman's like the front of her boob off in slow motion with like a knife and then pulls it off and eats it and you're like going why so you can see her other boobs sitting i guess
0: so yeah i I did not think zombies really cared about cutlery
1: there's a chase scene on a roller coaster not a roller coaster that's running just them running up a roller coaster while their zombies are chasing them up the structure hey why wouldn't you want to see that I'm yeah. just saying yes it's terrible yes it looks awful <laughs> yes it's fucking funny yeah all the way through and it even is so lame to try and tie it all to do a whole I'm gonna spoil it for you I'm sorry there's no there's no real plot here but it ties it back up with a, one of those it was all dream I used to read word up magazine oh wait oh. I just got a phone call it says I need to go to the airport to interview a, a scientist with a recent nuclear accident and then ends with the credits like going the nightmare has just begun yeah. or Something stupid like that. You're like, okay. <laughs>
0: this, this to me is in that grand tradition of the the Italians. For a while, when it came to genre films, were just shameless. Oh yeah. I mean, you look at the fact that Lucio Fulci's movie Zombie was released as Zombie Two, which a lot of you're like, well, wait, well, if it was the first one, wise, well, I'll tell you why. Because George Romero's Dawn of the Dead was released in Italy as Zombie, and they released Zombie, like Fulci's movie, as Zombie Two to completely lie about the fact that it's a sequel which it is not yeah. and then they continued that trend and made Zombie 3 Zombie 4 so this to me like is rolled into that grand tradition of just like however we can trick people to go to the theater to see this this terrible movie that's what we're going to do
1: but I this is one of those ones that like I said it's so terrible that it's kind of wonderful and there's so many things that you're gonna laugh out loud during the length of it I mean there's just so many little things that are not supposed to be funny but they're fucking funny yeah (laughs) I I can't help but recommend this actually
0: I you know what I remember seeing this in a movie marathon and I think we were reaching like three or four a.m mark when we put this on and it was I believe it was with Jason Murphy and we just had a, a great time laughing at it and I will point out much like the last film we talked about the big gundown this too has an inglorious bastard's tie-in oh my God. and that the lead actor is uh, a Hugo guy named Stiglitz? Hugo Stiglitz, which is the name of the like super badass character. Among the bastards in Inglorious Bastards. It really
1: disturbs me that Quentin Tarantino sits around at home watching and rewatching Nightmare City.
0: It should disturb you that we sit around rewatching and watching these movies and then figuring out which movies he has watched and rewatched.
1: You're right, that is more disturbing. Yeah,
0: you pull back from the painting and you just see the guy painting the picture of the guy painting the picture.
1: Inception. Boom. Ghost Tits. Ghost Tits. <laughs>
0: Boom. You guys, look up Ghost Tits on YouTube. It's hilarious. Seriously. Moving on from
1: Nightmare City to. Toad Road. Uh-oh. Toad Road. You can tell how excited Ryan is about this title. Hooray. Come on, your buddy Elijah Wood was one of the executive producers.
0: After this the fact. I mean, I like Elijah and I like what they're trying to do, but I am not a fan of this film.
1: See, I follow the other side of this. I actually am a fan of this film, and I admit this is one of those because these might, have, might as well be... Like, in, in the atmosphere I grew up in... Like, you know, from teenager on in my hometown, when I was getting towards the end, I was like, I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it was not entirely unlike what was going on in this movie. In fact, it was a lot like it. Bunch of teenagers partying, taking their hands on any, getting their hands on any drug, psychedelic drug they can think of and, and can find and just doing crazy, stupid shit. Uh Here... It stars Sarah Ann Jones, who sadly died of a drug overdose very shortly after the film premiered in 2012, uh, as a young college student that has sort of met the cool sort of musician, grungy guy uh, uh, named James, who has gotten basically, even though he's not like pushing drugs on her, he might as well be because she's hanging out with them while he and his, all their friends are tripping on mushrooms and shit. Finally, she's like, okay, I want to do this, but she gets so into it. She becomes obsessed with like all the little intricacies of tripping and gets obsessed with an urban legend about this place in the woods, this trail in the woods that is actually a road leading to hell, that there's seven gates of hell along the way. Uh, and she's, you know, as people who are basically having a reality break, when they're usually borderline schizophrenic to begin with and start taking LSD or mushrooms or something, she starts creating this elaborate mythology in her head around it. The thing is, is that as this movie goes along, which admittedly three quarters of it is just these people taking drugs and having sex and basically just partying and being kind of despicable. Yeah, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's It finally gets to the point where it kind of turns into a horror film where she's like, come with me down to Toad Road, which is the name of this trail through the woods. And then it starts getting into the whole, like, questioning what's real, what's not, whether, you know, it feels more like the sort of things people think about when you're on a lot of LSD than anything you'd think about seriously after you're off of it. Which
0: I think is is sort of the have your cake and eat it too moment for me that doesn't work, is that I completely understand sort of the comparing, and because it's a simple metaphor, like the idea of, like, taking too many drugs and descending into drug use, descending into hell. Yeah. Obviously, that's a parallel they're trying to strike here, but the problem that I have with it is that you always have that weird sort of safety net of, like, anything you see that's out of... I mean, we're dealing with an actual urban legend. Toad Road is an actual urban legend. Oh, is in York, it? York, York, Pennsylvania. Oh, I didn't know that. So I'm expecting some supernatural stuff that does happen, but then we always have that, is that really happening, or are they just on drugs? Which was my exact problem with the movie called Shrooms from a few years ago. Never saw it. Where it was like, okay, but I don't feel any tension, because anything that I see, I can immediately explain away in my head, and you've done a great job of establishing the fact that these kids are on every drug known to man, that I just, it doesn't, there's nothing for me to latch onto because I'm just like, well, you're probably tripping out and I don't find you appealing as a character enough to go on this journey with you. So I'm more interested in the things that are happening to you, which I can then explain away as being a trip. And for me, it just wasn't interesting. See,
1: I was fascinated by the drug logic in here, which was clearly by people who have actually taken psychedelic drugs. (laughs) I was like, this is, because you always see those, it's like, oh, look at the pretty colors. We're not, this is not, someone who's never done drugs idea of what drugs are like. This is by someone who's taken a lot of drugs, who knows what that sort of weird thinking that happens, the weird sort of overlapping circular thinking that you get into about conspiracies and whoa, what if like everything that we're thinking is, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Well,
0: no, I'm not and doubting the authenticity of the drug. Trip.
1: What scares <laughs> me inside of this is that what made it scary for me is not that I was expecting any sort of really supernatural thing to happen. I was, actually started to like this lead character, Sarah, who is this, I've, I've seen it a billion times before, like the relative, innocent, sweet girl does well in school, but gets pulled into a world for all the various pressures of peers as they were. I think it's called peer pressure. I think
0: that's what they call it now. Uh, and,
1: you know, can't handle it and freaks out. Um, it happens all the time. And I was rooting for her to get out of this or at least level out and then go, okay, that was fun. Now I'm going back to real life. Like most people do. Um, She gets sucked deeply into it. And there's actually a point towards the end of this film that I did find it fascinating from the viewpoint of someone who has taken psychedelic drugs of like, are they trying to go down? The scary part is like that idea. What if, you were right about stuff when you were tripping and you were just incapable of understanding it when you weren't. You know, like it really did open doors of perception, except in this, as Aldous Huxley said, but in this case, opened actual physical doors. Um, You're right. It leads you to believe that it's going to be a more specifically supernatural film, and it's mm-hmm. not. The horror is all purely fear for this character's loss of identity and and fear for the secondary character james loss of reality you know i mean it's certainly that metaphor is played too hard look what drugs do they tear your life apart but at the same time you can take it more literally and enjoy it in a scary way that way
0: (laughs) yeah no absolutely but i think the linchpin that we keep coming back to here is how much investment you have in that character absolutely and i just had none and part of it was the amateurishness of the shoot itself Like, there are literally scenes where she's supposed to be in a psychologist's office. It's clearly just somebody's living room. Sure. She's rolling around on the ground wrestling with somebody, and both the actor's mic packs are visible. And it's like, (laughs) guys, can't you just do a second take? Actors are looking at the camera left and right. Like, just... Make it professional. Like, I don't care what you're doing, just like, and I don't care if you have a low budget, you can still do a second take on a digital camera. Yeah,
1: I was like, it's digital. Keep shooting. Thank and you. And then hire the proper editor. Maybe the problem here was the editor. Could be the know? editor. Because I thought that actually some of the cinematography here was quite gorgeous. There's some beautiful locations they shoot in here. There's some neat stuff they do with the camera. There's stuff I really did enjoy on that level. In fact, it's almost like a sort of ghetto Terrence Malick look to the whole thing at points. But you're right, where there was no editor to go, well, we could probably lose 20 minutes of this and there's a lot of stuff like that you're like why why can you see the the, the audio packs so it could be yeah you're
0: right it could be a question of editing
1: uh but i don't know ultimately i did enjoy this a lot more than i didn't i i I found it interesting based on my own history but i think that most people are probably going to agree with you brian actually it it most people i think who haven't been part of this culture and don't find this interesting are just going to find this boring
0: Yeah. yeah that's that's probably where you're going to fall along the toad Rude. And it is it we should mention in, in all seriousness that it is tragic that the lead actress in this film who's
1: beautiful and a very competent actress as it appears.
0: She did actually die.
1: Yeah, of a drug of overdose. Of a drug overdose. Yeah.
0: So there's something to to be said about this film maybe being a little too authentic. Yeah, and there's that, its well, I didn't culture. realize
1: beforehand that she died. It wasn't until the end. It's like dedicated to yeah. her. I was like, why? And then look it up. It's like, oh my god.
0: <laughs> well, I, I actually saw this film at Fantasia a couple years ago, and I don't. Th- I think she was still alive at the time. Yeah, it says
1: she died a couple months after the premiere. Yeah, so, so it's, where it it's premiered there. Crazy. Yeah.
0: Well, that was Toad Road. Continuing on our our horror kick here, we're going to talk about Casadaga. Oh boy, that sounds like. Arnold Schwarzenegger trying to say "cast a dagger." I,
1: I feel sorry. Casadago, Casadago, over here. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: don't know when he would ever say "cast a dagger." Uh, this is
1: one of the, this is a 2011 film that, for some reason, the company that's putting this out are very proud of it because they would not stop bugging me about when is this review going up. Do you really want me to put up a review for this? Well, okay. I looked a lot of sites and this was on a lot of like horror sites and stuff. Worst of the year (laughs) list. So I don't know if I put it that low, but this is a story that has watched by people who've watched a lot of other current horror films and see what other people are doing in terms of plot structure and follow the basic rules and not a lot else. <laughs> uh, the story revolves around Lily Morell, played by Kellen Coleman who is uh she's for nothing that has anything to do with the rest of the story of any importance level, she's deaf. Not born deaf, she was got it later through a bad case, case of meningitis. So she doesn't talk like, you know, like people born from 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 birth do. That, I don't know what you call that. Mute? No, no, no. You know when they ha- they, have kind of, they talk like this? oh i don't know what you call that i i don't don't know i don't know what the wording is for that but uh very short she's a a children's teacher art teacher and very short shortly into the film we see her little sister who she's talking about oh when you graduate we'll go to france together she dies because she's listening to french instructions on her headphones she gets hit by a car she's like okay i i gotta get out of here there's nobody left in my life so she finds a connection. with a woman named Louise Fletcher who owns a school and is like, okay, I knew your mom. She was a great artist. Why don't you come out here? I'll let you live in our old house, this big old house here. And you can, uh, You know, continue to take classes here and develop and paint and whatever. She on the side gets a job as a school teacher there and starts tutoring a small girl and having an affair. Not even an affair. So it's a relationship with uh, the single dad of that girl. So it looks like she's fitting in. Life seems to be fine. The only problem is there's a serial killer hanging around. God damn it. It was really the only part of this whole thing that's even mildly interesting at all and that's because they call him Geppetto because his whole thing is he cuts women's limbs off and then reattaches them using like sort of metal swinging joints and then puts like hooks through their hands and feet and then moves them around like marionettes, mm-hmm. which is really fucking creepy <laughs> when yeah. you see it. Like, okay, that's, that is, that's the one good thing in this film. You nailed it. There that's, it is. That's the creepy aspect because the rest of it is really a who's the serial killer hunt and chase mixed with unsettled ghost who was murdered by the serial killer, pushing the lead actress to find, solve, who killed her movie. I mean, we've seen a thousand of these, and this is one of the most banal, by the numbers, nothing really... I mean, except for, like I said, that one aspect that they never really do much with at all, and then ultimately, even so, there's this cast of people it could be, and then it's like this totally minor, unimportant character who you've seen once before who has nothing to do with anything. You're Like, what... What was the point? You know, if you're going to have a twist ending, it has to be a twist that makes people go, whoa, (laughs) not, oh, it's not one of the other four characters that it looked likely to be. (laughs) (laughs) I just it's. Uh, Louis Louise Fletcher deserves better than this, quite frankly. She was back in oh, her Nurse day. Nurse Ratchet. Nurse Ratched. She has won the Academy Award for Best Actress, the BAFTA Award for Best Actress, the Golden Globe Award for Best Actress, the Saturn Award for Best Actress. She's, bi- bi- oh my God, she's had such a great career and now here she is in she, this piece she of want shit. She won a
0: paycheck for this movie.
1: Yeah, that's about all she got for it because ultimately... There's not much to go with on this one. I'm, I'm sorry. I know it sounds like an interesting concept, but even the ghost stuff, I usually am like, I'll give extra points for ghost stuff because I love, I love ghost movies. Nothing. Just dull. Terrible looking. One fucking ghost that doesn't even look that creepy. Nope. Gets a pass.
0: Mm too bad the the most horrific thing in the movie is actually sitting through the movie yes
1: that is indeed the most horrific
0: hey speaking of which Uh uh, let's talk about our next horror title which is devil's pass Oh, I was looking forward to this one. The this tr- is the latest from Rennie Harlan,
1: Yay! who you may
0: remember as the director of such classics as Deep Blue Sea, oh. Cutthroat Island, oh. Cliffhanger, yeah. and, and admittedly, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Oh, that was really good. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, Rennie Harlan is back with... The, now, to be honest, watching this movie, I had forgotten that Rennie Harlan directed it because it, it definitely is sort of a, a lower budget, sort of... It has that direct-to-video feel to it. Yeah. And then at the end when it was like directed by Rennie Harlan, I was like... Oh yeah, I had heard that, but nothing about this reminded me that there was a major studio director doing this movie. Uh, it, it is a it is a take on what is apparently a true story. I had never heard of this before. About the Dietlov Pass incident in the 50s in which a number of hikers in Russia died. Uh, they, under mysterious circumstances. And, uh, so this movie is sort of a found footage film about the group of documentarians going out there because, you know, when you have a horror film, the first thing white people do is, oh, a bunch of people died there? Let's go there.
1: I actually, and, when you said it was real, I'm like, already, you know, caught the North End and going to see what I can get my backpack and stuff. I'm like, let's go.
0: Yeah, you got a lot of camping I, gear, I, I, I want to check it out. Yeah? A frequenter <laughs> of REI, are you? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so.
1: No, you're right.
0: So, so the film sort of, I mean, progresses there. And <laughs> it doesn't do a lot of the found footage thing. Like, there aren't a lot of jump scares. There aren't a lot of scares period. The it's more of a survivalist thing for a while. It's more like a, you know, how are we going to get to this pass? How are we going to survive this night? And then there's uh to its credit, the movie does have an avalanche scene that's pretty horrific. They're pretty just uh intense. And then shit goes off the rails. When you find out what's actually going on in this film, they bring in some sci-fi concepts and like just things that the movie feels like it can't handle. Like the weight of these over the top Conceits just buckle in on the movie, and it start. It, it's a it's a avalanche in and of itself. <laughs> um, but th- the thing that really bugs me is toward the end of the film, you have a character that just sort of recites what he th- quote unquote thinks is going on. That you w- there are conclusions you would never arrive at unless you had read the script. Like maybe this is the room where, and I'm like, okay, the next sentence out of your mouth cannot be the next sentence out of your mouth, because all you're going to do is tell us expositionally what's going on, and you're not involved with it, so it's bullshit.
1: You can't know that.
0: You can't possibly know that. It's like at the end, they're like, oh, wait, we haven't explained any of this, so we need a character to explain all of this, but we don't have any living characters who would explain this, so we'll have our 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 protagonist just guess, like blind guess, at what's going on here and get it right.
1: Just throw a dart at the plot. Uh, dartboard and yeah. see what it hits. Oh, look! Oh, we just missed giant intelligent chart. It's like,
0: Hadley <laughs> and Sinterson are si- sitting there at the board and just going, randomly release this monster. And then you get to see the actual supernatural threat. And I thought I was playing a video game. That's how shitty the CG oh, was no, at that really? point. It was just like, really, guys? You can't try a little bit harder?
1: But this is from Rennie Harlan, the guy who made such films as Cutthroat Island? Okay, yeah,
0: I know. I don't know. Again... I had forgotten he had directed it so I wasn't i didn't I, I hadn't appropriately lowered my expectations um I can't really recommend this film I mean there are a couple of nuggets of things where you're like okay that's kind of interesting but they're squandered and it just becomes uh, it becomes sort of found footage runoff white noise in fact and I don't know that's really all I can say about it
1: you know, this should be a movie about a bunch of people who are trapped under a uh, giant, like falling off the top of a mountain. Cop unsold copies of a streetcar named Desire. So they called Avalanche. Ah,
0: yeah, you were sitting there the whole time I was reviewing this film,
1: thinking of that joke. It was a long way to go for a pun. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Go
0: around the block and just shout up at the window that yeah, joke. People That'll are like, work.
1: Snow, Chris. Snow. Snow,
0: snow way, man. <laughs> snow way. Uh, I have I have cooled to your jokes. Yeah,
1: I can't I can't blame I you. Have to go a
0: long that. way to thaw my cold heart. Fucking up. ice hole. Right. So, Chris, that was Devil's Pass. Why don't you talk about more than honey?
1: Thank God, because <laughs> we're getting a little tired of talking about bad movies. And this is decidedly not a bad movie. This is the 2012 Swiss documentary film uh, directed by Marcus Imhoof, which probably means nothing to you. But he's actually considered to be a pretty big director in Switzerland. He has a had a sizable amount of films uh, he's made, as well as a theater director. They're well known better known over there than they are here. But this is about honeybee colonies. Now, why should that be interesting for to you? Well, uh For a lot of reasons, oh, one which is that it's just fascinating knowing about how bees work and the mm-hmm. intricacies of how they do what they do and all the things we don't even understand about how they do. There are a lot of things about bees that are still, despite they've been studied like crazy. Yeah, I saw
0: that scene in The Happening. <laughs> Wahlberg explains it pretty well.
1: <laughs> Josh, that there's still a scientific mystery, some of the things about them. And this gets – one of the more interesting things about More Like Honey is that it really – interestingly explores those with lots of hard to get footage and, and, you know, well assembled to make the whole thing feel like, like you're really there in the middle of the, like these bees lives. But ultimately there's a been, ultimately people want to watch this for is because there's been a very mysterious unsolved collapse of honeybee colonies near worldwide that scientists really don't understand exactly what's happening. There's a lot of theories. Um, uh, You know, there's a apocryphal quote, uh, that's attributed to Albert Einstein. Apparently he didn't say it, but that if the bees ever die out, ma- mankind will die out four years later. Uh, not necessarily true, but it is true that if bees weren't here, 80% of our food supply would be gone, which is kind of where you would say something like that.
0: Yep, that's Thunderdome shit. I'm uh, ready.
1: And this takes a look over the length of the film of the various different things that they see are definitely affecting these bees. And, trying to understand what's going on why are they all dying out and it never really comes up with a specific answer and more has a sort of i don't think it's one thing i think it's a combination of all these different factors all these things going on uh, a lot of which have to do with you know big corporate ways of 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 uh you know with you know uh, uh what do you call them uh, fertilizers and mm. pesticides and uh bee husbandry and things like that that are just they're not taking into account the bigger picture. And ultimately they're all having this cumulative effect. At least that's what the director is going with here. But... it's not one of those, oh, we're going to make you so paranoid type of films. It's not one of those, oh, oh God, the end is coming. The end is coming. It's more than anything, just a fascinating look at these fascinating creatures. That's very well done, uh, with a, a good soundtrack and really interesting people who've devoted their whole lives. Like interviews with these people who, since they were children were involved with being beekeepers and, and know everything there is to know about this world. And they're interesting people. They have a lot of cool stuff to say about it. And plus honey is tasty. Where are the bees going? Nobody seems concerned about the bees. You look around, and no more bees.
0: Where are the bees going? You need to apologize to the bees. No. Mark Wahlberg. I'm sorry. Hey. Hey, bees. Where are you going? You're disappearing. What's that about? <laughs> All right. Say hi, to, say hi to your queen for me.
1: Uh, this also comes with a couple of extra interviews with people, including with the director himself, who talked about why he decided to make this documentary, uh... Uh, so quite a few deleted scenes, a behind the scenes piece showing how some of the macro photography was accomplished, which was very difficult. Uh, and a couple other little bits and pieces here. If, if this subject sounds like it's interesting at all to you, which it should be, because this could be a much bigger issue in the next few years, then give this a look. It's a damn fine documentary.
0: You will find me wandering the wastelands looking for the last precious source of power, which is honey. Pure, yeah. pure honey.
1: Yeah, honey or honeycomb cereal the case maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not small. No, no, no. There's barely any left. Ah. Bees are dead. Bees are dead. Well, that brings us to the last title of the show, which is also going to be our
1: Give giveaway, away.
0: and it's from our friends at Draft House Films. This is the Act of Killing. This is a documentary that uh, came out this year and ended up on quite a few people that I know, at least, their best of the year list. And wow, um, it. This is a little bit hard to describe. It's going to be really hard to describe. As we're telling you what it's about, why you should watch it. You're going to hear the description. You're going to think to yourself, why would I want to watch that movie?
1: Uh, <laughs> but stick with us. But stick with us. It, because it, you do want to see this movie. You
0: really do want to see this movie. So, Active Killing is a documentary about Indonesia and specifically what happened in 1965 in Indonesia when they declared communism illegal and began this – I don't know how else to describe it. I mean it was a, it was a holocaust. They just started going around killing anyone – They accused of being a communist. Now, it's like McCarthyism meets Hitler. Like, they literally just went around and institutionalized and celebrated the murder of anyone they deemed as being a communist threat. And now you have these guys whose whole job it was at the time to go through and interrogate and murder and dump these bodies and... Now, not only are they not brought up on war crimes, not only are they not in prison, they're celebrated as rock stars.
1: Yeah, this is the society that follows if one of those things happen, the bad guys win, and there's never any comeuppance. Yeah. This is years later, they're older men, they're just like, yeah, they're like, hey, the heroes from back in the day who got rid of all the communists... Who weren't doing anything wrong. And, and in
0: a lot of cases, it wasn't even about that. It was literally like the Salem witch trials where it was just like, I don't like you very much. So I'm going to accuse you of being a communist. And since we have no actual legal system whatsoever, as soon as I say you're a communist, these guys are going to come in and murder you. And they even got the youth involved. Like they used paramilitary mercenaries and gangsters. Gangsters. Like we're, we're working for the government. Yeah, Journa- Like the local newspaper was calling people out as being communists just so they could be killed. Yeah.
1: It's uh, fucked up. And there was lots of, like, just people doing that so they could get take over their businesses yeah. and stuff. Like, the gangster community was using it to build their own assets. So now the gangsters are basically in charge of the country. Now, what separates this from a regular documentary, though, is something else entirely. The, the idea that's going on here is that the director, Joshua Oppenheimer, has invited several of the people who were these war criminals from hell. Butchers. to reenact the killings and the activities that happened during this, war- this not really a war war involves two sides. Yeah. Uh, but this, this ethnic this cleansing, ethnic cleansing or, or, or philosophical cleansing. Yeah. Uh, to make dramatic scenes depicting their memories and, and how they felt about it. And as it goes along as they're going, Oh, we're going to do these like in different genre styles. We'll do this one like a musical and we'll do this one like a gangster film. We'll do this one like a Western. As it goes along, we watch one of the people in particular uh Anwar slowly start to it's a, to sink in what he actually did, yeah. and who he is as a person, and it 's haunting, yeah. watching this guy slowly like basically realize that he is soulless yeah <laughs> and it's amazing to watch
0: yeah it's it's a beautiful film in that the way i mean the way it's shot, the way they filmed them filming these movies i mean some of the cinematography is just it's a dreamscape it's it's incredible. Yeah. And the whole time you're just thinking about what a sad history this place has had, and how terrifying it is to this day. To this day, they bring in like this paramilitary group called the uh Basilia Youth, I believe, if I'm not mispronouncing that, who still to this day are like, we're gonna round up and kill all the communists. And they're, you know, the vice president of Indonesia's up there, like, you guys are all heroes. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. They just they have never woken up from this this nightmare that they're in where just because you believe something different is is cause enough to be murdered and it's just and they it's still institutionalized that's why these people never feel like villains to you know the world that they're in because they're not like in Indonesia they're heroes and it's just you have to wrap your mind around that and it is interesting to watch them kind of work out some not really work out but just face some personal demons as what appears to be just this sort of innocuous project, like, oh, let's make a movie about some of the things you did. And all of a sudden, they get really into it, like, oh, I want to make it this way and I want to do this shot. And, and they even start criticizing their own performances, like, at the time, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have said that. I, you know, and, and then again, you just see those, like you said, you see those gears working and, and some of them do start to realize. And then the even more interesting part is the ones that really it clicks and then you listen to their mental gymnastics to try to be like, "Well, why don't they why don't they uh, you know, instead of bringing me up on charges, why don't they bring up the Americans for killing all the Indians?" and it's like, "Well, you're that still around, no, like you
1: still do with that." Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: It's like, first of all, okay, Fine. And secondly, like, you're still walking around free. I don't like, who are we going to prosecute on the other side of that?
1: Uh, You know, it's interesting. This, of course, goes back to, of course, the idea of the banality of evil, which is like, these guys are all, they're just family men. Mm -hmm. They live totally normal lives. They're really kind of boring people, quite frankly. Yeah. Uh, And- Like, even the way that they envisioned themselves when all this was going on, they envisioned themselves as Hollywood heroes, which is part of the point of this director of setting all this up as, like, genre things, where he's portraying them like these super exaggerated Hollywoodized stereotypes of heroes.
0: At one point, one of them's dressed up as a cowboy in a jungle.
1: Yeah, and while they're committing, like, special effects-driven acts of torture and murder inside of it, and... It's like this fascinating experiment that the director did to try and see. I wonder what would happen if we did this. With
0: How these can guys? we wake these guys up?
1: And wow. I mean, there's nothing else like this. Nobody's ever done anything like this before. Nobody's certainly ever filmed anything like this before. It makes you wish you could go back in time and do this to something like this to other people. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: it's, it's crazy. And it's, it's such an interesting delivery, delivery system for its message. Like yeah. it, this is not, at all letting these guys off the hook i want to make that very clear not even slightly just because they're interacting with these guys and they're allowing them to recreate these things it's a calculated experiment to see if what appears at first to be uh an acknowledgement and almost like an honoring of them is really a chance for them to like face their victims again and, and face the things the horrible things that they did and it's it it's an incredible film. I mean, I don't even know how else to describe it.
1: Yeah, agreed. This is. uh It's hard not to call this the best documentary this year. I'll be uh, honestly a little surprised if it, the Oscars don't honor it uh, that way as well. Agreed. Uh, but this has commentary with the director, executive producer, Werner Herzog, who of course, has to, anytime he gets a chance, throw in his weird-ass voice into Love something. Love it. Love it. Uh, every movie should have a Werner Herzog commentary agreed. track. Uh, interview with Oppenheimer on the show Democracy Now!, an independent news program about this. Um, a, uh, look from the, from vice with Errol Werner Herzog and Errol Morris uh, the filmmaker about what talking about what makes this film unique a series of uh, a lot of deleted scenes uh, a bunch of trailers and a booklet that is a reprint of executive producer Errol Morris Morris's essay The Murders of Gonzago uh, originally published in 2013 that take a look at connections between the Indonesian history that underlies this and the history of U.S. involvement in Vietnam that was the subject of his film The Fog of War ultimately it's a great package a great movie one of the films It's going to disturb you and you will go back and watch it again. It's the rare documentary that you don't really know what's going on until the end, and everything is going to seem in a very different light that happened early on in it after you've seen the whole thing. Yeah. You will go back and rewatch this, so it makes for a great giveaway. Yes, it
0: does. It's it, you know, it's going to it's going to affect you definitely. Yes. Uh, and Draft House Films has donated. We have a, a Blu-ray DVD combo pack of this film to give away. And as you know, we do sort of a creative writing. Type prompt that we do for our giveaways. So what you're going to want to do is first follow us on Twitter uh, at at one of us net, and you're going to post. Uh, let's see. I don't want to see. I don't want to do anything too related to this film because I don't. I don't want to tap into the darker aspects of the lizard brain of. And I'm not. I'm not putting you guys down. We all have that that darker lizard brain. I don't want to. I don't want to bring that out. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you legitimately what if you were a documentary filmmaker. What topic would you want to explore and maybe just a little bit of why? Obviously, you have 140 characters, not a lot to work with. But just a quick, like, what would you want to be the subject of your documentary and why? And then just hashtag that uh, act of killing giveaway.
1: Yeah. Uh, We will not be accepting answers that involve the spill crew.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is true. This is true. So, yeah, that's going to do it for our show this week. I'm really glad to be back. I'm glad that we are kicking off 2014 right and we got the new forum you can still become a subscriber there's all kinds of good stuff going on still please click on those amazon links if you have anything you want to buy on amazon come to us first to get there and we will get a little bit of that uh, cut of that purchase and we really appreciate it because that's how we keep the lights on
1: yep and we need the lights on to see so we can do stuff
0: unless we're watching insidious too in which case in which
1: case you want the lights off you want them all off uh as well you can follow me on twitter at kick chris cox critic or on facebook at christopher lawrence cox web critic
0: Yes, and I am on Twitter as well, at BryguySalisbury, and I am on the Facebook. I think it's just... You know what? I'm going to look that up right now, because I (laughs) don't actually know. know... What I don't I don't actually know what my, my Facebook I so mean I know Snake it's my Pliskin? name I or wish Steak
1: Pliskin, rather
0: it's brian dot it's facebook dot com slash brian dot 397 or you can just look me up
1: yeah I mean, just look up Brian
0: Salisbury I'm there I'm one of I'm one of the Brian Salisbury's you'll probably know it's me
1: yeah if you friend them all one of them will be him there you go yeah alright well that does it for this show uh, I guess uh, say night, Gracie night, Gracie is that it
0: yeah that's all we got that's all we got damn it